0: My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 45. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. Hopefully, your key to a better car life. Let's just call it a more informed car life. You know, I'm trying to keep you, uh, well, basically to prepare you for what's coming. And, of course, the government, the federal government, And the auto industry itself are intoxicated with electric vehicles. And they are changing laws now. Well, not not the corporations, but the government is is changing the standard so that by, well, they're saying by 2030, 50% of all new vehicles sold will be EVs. That's not that far off. What is this? 2023, so seven years. You can enjoy your internal combustion engine. You know, the the way I really think this is going to happen is the, the California is, is requiring it. So if you live in California, you're driving an EV. About the same thing in New York and a few other states. Uh, as far as the, the heartland, you know, where we live, it's not going to be quite that drastic, but uh, it's going to be drastic. We will still have the internal combustion engine. It's going to be required... For some time, I mean, fifty percent of the vehicles in twenty thirty will not be EVs. So they're still going to be out there. Uh, the question is, are they going to be affordable? You know, because these new EPA standards are going to add tremendous amount of cost to the vehicles. Um, they're going to take away all the power. So say bye bye to your B- your V eight engines, your Camaros and Corvettes and uh, Mustang. Well, Camaro's going away anyway. They say it might be coming back as a an SUV, a, an electric, guaranteed it will be electric. So, you know, this this is coming and we just have to grin and bear it. You know, what they're going to do is they're going to make gasoline so expensive that, um, you know, they're going to force you into that direction. And there is hope that uh, they will develop some better battery technology than we have now. Uh, in order to enable us to charge faster and have and drive further. Like today, I have to go to Knoxville. And, um, you know, I, I just had my F-150 Lightning come in that I ordered, let's see, back in October. It finally came in. It was on hold for a while because of some snafu that they had in the plant. Apparently, they had a, uh, a Lightning battery go rogue and caught fire. And so they identified what the problem was. I mean, that can happen with anything. You know, it's kind of scary to to think that you're sitting on a um, an explosive device. I guess we've been doing that forever since we've been having a, a gas tank in the back of a vehicle because that's definitely explosive. But the lightning came in, and so I thought about driving it to Knoxville today, but it's only got a 75% charge, and um, there's no quick way to add, you know, an extra 20% or so. I mean, I could plug it into our Level 2 charger out here. And it would probably take five hours to get that extra 25%. That's unacceptable, isn't it? So I'm not going to take it. I'm going to take my hybrid and uh, my hybrid F-150. And I can drive right across the street. I can fill it up with gas. And I've got just about 600 miles of range that I can do. And if I run low, I can just look for the next exit. There will be a gas station there. What do you do when you're driving an electric vehicle? It's like... Mm, playing roulette because you really just don't know what's going to be there. You don't even know if it's going to work when you get there. And you don't know what level it's going to be. Is it a uh, fast charger? Is it a DC fast charger, level three? Now, let me remind you what these are. Level one is a 110 outlet at your house, okay? So that takes about five days to charge an EV. Level two is a like a 240-volt or a 220 outlet, like would power your, I guess, your dryer or your oven. So that would charge your vehicle in about six to eight hours. Uh, And then level three charger is a DC fast charger. So basically you can charge your vehicle in a matter of 40 minutes to an hour and a half. That's still a long time to sit in one place. I guess Tesla drivers have gotten used to that. Whenever I go to a um, I, I go to Somerset, Kentucky to meet my grandson. That's our meeting place, and right behind this McDonald's there is a Tesla supercharging station. And I see people milling about, you know, while their car is charging. Some people are in the in their vehicles reading a book or taking a nap or something like that. On the other side of the McDonald's are gas pumps, and people are just filling up their cars with the gas and you know going in and get a biscuit and then jumping in their car and driving off. That's what I want to do. I like that lifestyle. I don't like the idea of pulling up and plugging in. I'm sorry. And if you drive a Tesla, then you're okay uh, You because you know where the superchargers are. They're all superchargers. They're all DC fast chargers, and you know what it's going to be. Um, but if you're driving any other EV, you don't have any hope of, well, let's say you have hope. You just don't have certainty. And I like certainty. Don't you? So is this really just us on the cutting edge of, of an evolutionary period? I think we probably are. You know, I was reading an article in uh, Automotive News also about automated driving. You know, the fact that uh, that Ford just got approved in Great Britain uh, for, the, for the Mach-E to be able to drive on their roads hands-free. Uh, that's level two automation. There are, I think eight levels or seven levels of automation. So we've got a long way to go before the car doesn't even have a steering wheel in it. That's the, I think that's level seven, no steering wheel, no brake pedal, no gas pedal. You just get in and tell it where you want to go. And it takes you there. You know, that's, that's really not a bad thing, especially if you're elderly and you can't drive anymore. You need to go to the doctor. You need to go to the grocery store or whatever, or if you're, you know, you're blind, you know, or you're limited. You don't have a driver's license. I just wonder if they're going to make you have a driver's license to ride in a fully automated car. It's an interesting question. <clears throat> I've got a frog in my throat this morning. Can you tell? I apologize. It's the pollen, I think, that's getting to me. I mowed last night. I love to mow. You know, it's one of the few things that I can do that I can see immediate results. And I had this guy from he's one of those, those folks, the lawn doctor, I think is what he's called. And they came in a couple of years ago and they changed my whole paradigm the way I look at mowing. Cause I used to mow it about two and a half inches and scout my yard. And of course my yard was just a combination of grass and weeds. And my wife said, you know, let's, let's have a nice yard for once in our, you know, our married life. And I said, okay. So they came in and they treated it, and I think they planted or sowed the grass in the fall. And come spring, wow, the yard looked really good. So I started mowing it like I always mow it. And he said, No, 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 no. You don't mow it two and a half inches, you mow it four inches. I said, Four inches? It it won't even, that's when I normally mow, is when it's four inches. He says, No, you're going to mow now when it's seven inches or six inches. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I'm doing now. And you should see my yard. It's gorgeous. You know, I can mow and get different directions and get the stripes that look like, you know, a professional baseball field. And man, when I get done, it's, yeah, it's thick. I mean, I wouldn't want to try to find a golf ball in it. You know, chipping around the yard is history now. But uh, man, so sometimes it pays to listen to the experts. So thanks for listening. I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. Still hoarse. Tried to drink something, but that didn't help any. Do you know what generation you're in? There's so much talk about that now, how different we are. I don't know if um, they even had labels 50 years ago. They didn't have a generation. Well, they had baby boomers. You know, they called us the baby boomers. That's what I was. I was towards the end of that, I think. And then um, they called the, well... The oldest generation now is 75 and older. I'm not quite there yet. They're called pre-boomers. Uh, and then you have the older baby boomers, and then you have younger baby boomers. I didn't know they had three sets of baby boomers. Let's see. I'm in the middle one. And then they have Generation X, older millennials, younger millennials, and Generation Z. Hmm. So the reason I'm bringing this up is that they all have different tastes in automobiles. Would you agree with that? Well, let's start with the younguns, Generation Z. What is that? Well, that's age eighteen to twenty-four. So let's see what their favorite vehicles are. What do most generate? Or what vehicles do Generation Z love the most and drive the most? Well, number one is the Chevy Silverado. That was kind of surprising to me. I figured it'd be the Ram if it was going to be a truck, because I see a lot of young people driving that, but that comes later. Uh, As far as cars, Honda Civic, Toyota Corolla, Toyota RAV4, and Toyota Camry. Wow. Boy, their minds have been infected with Toyota and Honda to a certain extent, but this, you know, really surprised me about Toyota though, because I thought Toyota was a baby boomer phenomenon, but it's not, as you'll see. Younger millennials, that's the next generation. That's 25-34. through That would include my youngest daughter. Um, so they like Toyota RAV4, followed by Chevy Silverado, Ford F-150, Jeep Grand Cherokee, and the Ram 1500. Anything surprise me there? Well, kind of that there are three different trucks in there kind of surprises me. But no wonder. I mean, you look at the sales numbers and, you know, the Silverado and the Ram and the And the uh, F-150 are the three most or the three best-selling vehicles in this country. So they have to be on the list. Older millennials, which are 35 to 44, choose the Chevy Silverado, followed by the F-150, followed by the Ram 1500. Here comes Toyota RAV4 again and the Tesla Model Y. You know, Tesla has done a phenomenal job penetrating that particular market that age group, uh, and the next age group, uh, and I think this is going to become even more so as we move towards uh, towards 2030 with all the new regulations. I don't know what's going to happen. Of course, I guess the pre-boomers and the older baby boomers, some of them will be dropping off the map there. No offense. I'm in that group. Uh, Generation X is 45 to 54, um, their favorite vehicles are the Chevrolet Silverado, followed by the Ford F one hundred and fifty, Ram fifteen hundred, <laughs> Toyota Rav four, and the Tesla Model Y. Well, they're just copying the older the older millennials, or are the older millennials copying Generation X? You know these these people are getting pretty old, but still trucks are are dominant. Uh, you'll find the same thing in the younger baby boomers. That's fifty five to sixty four. I graduated from that group. F-150 is number one, followed by the Silverado, the RAV4, the Ram 1500, and, hmm, Honda CRV made it into that group. You know, that's a very popular segment. We sell a lot of the Nissan Rogue and the Rogue Sport. Starting to sell a lot of uh, Pathfinders, the Ford Escape, um, those and and even the the, the uh, Bronco, the the Bronco Sport, the little bro- baby Bronco, we're selling a lot of those to older folks, uh, younger baby boomers, and um, some Generation X. It's just such a practical vehicle. You know, they're easy to get in and out of. They're comfortable to drive on a trip. Um, it was a hard transition. I remember when I wasn't that long ago, you know, 10 years ago, we still had passenger cars. But we had people coming in, and uh, they were older, you know, my age 67. I'm 66. I'll be 67. And, um, you know, they were coming in to buy another car. And they were talking about, though, how hard it was to get in and out of their Ford Fusion, or their Honda Accord or whatever. And so I would pull up a, a Ford Escape, or I'd pull up a Nissan Rogue. At the time, we were a Mazda dealer, I'd pull up a a CX-5. And um, they would get in and out of it and say, wow, I don't have to fall into it. I can kind of slide into it and slide out of it. And so those things really started taking off. And that's why we don't have a Ford Fusion anymore. Ford said they weren't selling. You know, the Ford Taurus is gone. The, the Ford Focus is gone. And, you know, crossovers and SUVs are it. Now, Honda of course, still sells the Civic. They still sell the uh, Honda Accord. Nissan still sells the Altima and the Sentra and the Versa and the Maxima. So that's the passenger car line for Nissan. And so uh, Toyota, you know, they still sell the the Corolla and the Camry. I don't think they, well, they might, no, I think they quit making the their luxury car. I can't remember what it was called. But the old people stopped buying them. Now, you go back to Generation Z, the 18 to 24. What are they buying? Camrys, Corollas, Civics. And the reason for that is that they're cheaper. <clears throat> you know, they're just a lot more affordable for folks. And they don't care about getting in and out of them. They can get out in and out of them just fine. So the older baby boomers, that's me, 65 to 74. Toyota RAV4, easy to get in and out of. Uh, followed by the Honda CRV, the Ford F-Series, Silverado, and the Chevrolet Equinox. That's the first uh, Chevrolet SUV that I've seen on the list. And then the pre-boomers, that's the people, the oldest people on the planet, 75 and older. They even like the Chevrolet Equinox. Isn't that interesting? Followed by the Honda CRV, the Toyota RAV4, Ford F-150, and Chevy Silverado. You would think that to- the Toyota RAV4, pretty much in every single one of these categories. Yep. No. Yep. They are. So... They should be selling the heck out of those. It's multi-generational. Well, at least the generations can agree on something. Okay, so what else is going on? You know, if you're thinking about buying a car right now, one of the major considerations is the cost of money. In other words, the interest rate. You know, I'm looking at all of the incentives um, as far as uh, all the different manufacturers. BMW does not have anything special going right now. So just in case you're interested in a BMW, you're not going to be able to get a good interest rate. A lot of people lease BMWs, but still that's going to be a pretty high monthly payment because a lot of the lease factor or the the lease payment is based on interest rate. Now Ford, on the other hand, has 0% financing on just about everything. Now sometimes it's a short term, you have to pay attention to that. You know what Ford's top interest rate is right now for somebody with bad credit? 9.9%. 9.9%. I remember when uh, 9.9% on a car was an incredible interest rate. We were in the it was in the early 80s and the uh, prime interest rate was about 18%. Chevrolet came out with a special program at 13.9 just to stimulate demand. That wouldn't stimulate demand now would it? People just have gotten so used to these low rates that anything over 2 or 3% scares them. Uh, General Motors has a lot of low rates, uh, two point, starting at 29 They have zero as well. Um, vehicles like the Blazer, the Equinox, uh, Ma- well, they don't have Malibus anymore. Um, Camaros, GMC, Acadia, Canyon, they have uh, 2.9% and 0%. Their highest interest rate on their program is 12.8%. That's getting kind of serious right there. If you have to pay twelve point eight percent to buy a new car, you have not managed your finances well. Now that can be for a lot of different reasons. It could be for, you know, health reasons. I had a guy, uh, one of my employees, matter of fact, the other day said um, he would like to try to, to buy a vehicle, but he's afraid he can't. And I said, why? He said, well, I got a vehicle getting ready to go back. Well, I said, well, that's not good. Why are you letting it go back? He said, I'm not. It was in the divorce settlement. And my wife was supposed to make the payments. It's in my name, but she was supposed to make, make the payments, and she hasn't been. And so now they're getting ready to repo it. I said, well, you do realize what happens next, right? He said, I think so, but what? And I said, well, they will repo the car. They will sell it at auction. And whatever deficiency there is, you know, whatever the difference is between what they get for it and what the balance is on your loan, they're going to come after you for it. So... And the bad thing is, is they can actually garnish your wages here at the dealership. So not not for all of it, but, but for a monthly payment if they get a judgment against you. Oh, crap. So he wasn't too happy to hear that. But, you know, sometimes you got to hear the truth. All right, I'm going to take my last break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, so I'm headed to Knoxville here in a few minutes to for a cardiology appointment. Nothing wrong, I hope. But uh, just one of my regular checkups. But I'm my uh, wife's Nissan, uh, she's driving a Pathfinder, a new 2023 Pathfinder. It's almost out of gas, which is typical when I get in her vehicle. So I've got to go get gas. What am I going to put in it? <clears throat> I'm going to put regular unleaded in that car because that's what it is called for in that car. 87 octane. Now, as long as we own that vehicle, we will continue to put 87 octane in it. I ran into a customer the other day that we were just talking about different things, and he said, you know, occasionally I like to uh, I put some premium in my car every now and then just, just to uh, kind of clean things out and just make it make it run better. What he fails to realize is that he can actually damage his engine. Higher octane fuels in a car that's designed to to burn lower octane fuels, um, is not good. And the same thing goes for cars that require premium. Does the car you're driving, are you driving a Lexus? Are you driving a Corvette? Are you driving, um, what else would be, like a BMW or something like that or a Porsche? Those cars require high octane fuels uh, because of the compression uh, in the engine. If you have a high compression engine, then you want a higher octane fuel. If you have a low compression engine, then you don't. And you can actually damage your engine if you uh, put the wrong fuel in it. So you're not helping your engine. The, the fuels, the, the additives, and so forth, that's a bunch of malarkey. Uh, the additives in the fuel in premium are no better than the additives in the fuel in regular unleaded. Now, should you burn regular gas You know the, that doesn't have any ethanol in it? Uh Maybe in your lawnmower, you know, in your uh, weed eater, that type of stuff. But in your car, doesn't require it. Uh, if your car is going to be sitting for a long period of time, like you're going to leave it sitting for months at a time, yes, put pure gas in your car because of the way that ethanol breaks down. So, if you have any questions about this kind of stuff or just anything related to cars, getting a lot, I'm getting a lot of questions uh, regarding the uh, the vintage cars and what to do with them. I mean, I'm going all over East Tennessee looking at cars, and I really do enjoy that. A lot of baby boomers and uh, what was that last generation? Pre-boomers. They don't want to keep these old cars anymore. It doesn't make any sense. They don't show them. They They just sit, you know, so they're ready to unload those cars, and I enjoy that. If you have questions about values or, you know, you're thinking about going to trade for a car next week, and you need some advice as to what your trade-in is worth, I can help you with that. Just give me a call, 423-552-2020, or send me a text, or an email to Lenny Lawson 2020 at gmail.com, and I'll see you next time.